Don't lose peace of mind over the safety of your beautiful pool. Introducing CameraEye, the fastest artificial intelligent pool safety system. CameraEye uses artificial intelligence to create a virtual smart fence around your pool to help save lives. Monitor your pool 24-7 from your home or anywhere on your phone. CameraEye detects when someone crosses the AI smart fence through overhead cameras. If there is distress or near-drowning behavior in the pool, alerts and alarms notify you through the Smart Hub, Siren, Phone, and App within 10 seconds. Affordable and easy to install. Keep a camera eye on your pool for 24-7 peace of mind. To learn more, visit www.cameraeye.ai. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Pool Magazine podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Adam Kachmarchi. He's an assistant professor in kinesiology, health, and sports sciences at Indiana University of Pennsylvania and the executive director of the National Drowning Prevention Alliance, an organization dedicated to reducing the number of drownings and aquatic injuries. It's a pleasure to have you with us today on the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. Really excited to be here. So uh, before we get really deep into our conversation, Dr. Kachmarchi, can you give us a little bit of your background about your involvement with the NDPA what you do in your function as executive director, you know, just tell us, you know, what the NDPA is all about. Sure. Um, uh, I'll start with myself and my involvement with NDPA. Um, I actually became a partner or a member of the NDPA when I was actually an undergraduate student at Slippery Rock University. I went to Slippery Rock because of their aquatics program. Um, and actually at the time, Bob O'Gork, who is uh, still the professor at Slippery Rock running that program, was president of NDPA. So he was able to bring me in as a, as a volunteer. My first time um, at an NDPA conference was back in 2010. And that conference had a really profound impact on me. That was the first time I ever met a family who had lost a child to a drowning. And it really put drowning in a whole new perspective for me because it wasn't something that as a lifeguard, you know, I worked to try to prevent. And as a swim instructor and a facility operator, um, it really showed me the trauma side that, that this, you know, horrific tragedy causes and, um, you know, really made me passionate about um, the cause of drowning prevention. And it affected my research line. So on an academic side, my master's degree focused on um, lifeguard risk management and, and the training of lifeguards, especially for surveillance. And then in my doctoral work, um, I focused on drowning prevention education research and the need for further evidence gathering and drowning prevention in the United States. Um, and while I was in graduate school, I was elected to NDPA's board of directors, um, served as a board member for one year, secretary, vice president, and then finally president of the board. And at the time, NDPA was a very smaller organization had a mighty mission just like we do today but um, you know we didn't have a huge budget and we were running the organization totally as volunteers in 2017 the board of directors and I made the decision to move me to the day-to-day -day management and the executive director role um, and since then my main got job day in day out has been working to um, advance the NDPA but one thing I love about this job it's just not about the organization we're an alliance to prevent drowning. And with that comes collaboration and working with partners and developing uh, partnerships, seeing where the needs are in the industry and where um, you know, we don't duplicate efforts. Our goal is never to try to do something better than what someone's already doing it. Um, our goal is to really help truly advance the subject area. And I say I usually I have the best job because um, I get to wake up every day and work in a cause that I'm extremely personally passionate about. Um, I'm a content expert in this space doing my uh, graduate study uh, and research in this work um, and really actually diving in and getting to 
you know, use my brain and the organization to uh, really help advance this cause and come up with sensible solutions to drowning prevention and water safety. So I say NDPH serves mainly two purposes. One is to form those collaboration and education opportunities with the professional side. And we deal with every sector that touches drowning from, uh, as I mentioned, pediatricians, first responders, um, uh, lifeguards, swim instructors, pool builders, facility operators, industry partners, the list goes on and on. And then our second goal is to really serve as a really solid um, place where the public can come and learn very simple, very practical water safety information um, to make their families safer. You know, you and I both share a passion for raising awareness about an incredibly difficult topic to discuss. In fact, years ago in the pool industry, it was almost a taboo topic of discussion. But today, drowning is kind of like an elephant in the room that is impossible to ignore. You actually, uh, you believe we're at a crisis point when it comes to childhood drowning in America. Isn't that right? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and really to uh, kind of clarify where we're at with drowning prevention in the United States, we saw a really significant reduction in drowning rates from 1980 to about 2000. Um, the drowning rate was almost cut in half in the United States. And then from 2000 um, to the most recent year in 2022, we actually have only saw a very small decrease in the number. Um, and what the scary part is when we just look at 2020, and it's hard to say, is that a new trend that we're seeing because of the pandemic? So we, there's a little bit of unknown about what's in our future from a public health standpoint. But, you know, 2020, we saw drowning rates increase significantly for the first time in a very long time. And that's something, you know, I've always at least been able to say we're keeping the drowning numbers steady and they're steadily reducing. Um, that was not, not the case in 2020. And some of the initial data we have for 2021 even has me even more scared. So you believe that there is a corollary on why those kind of numbers stayed static uh, as, as opposed to, you know, uh, taking a significant dive uh, or, or even increasing, given the fact that we were uh, confined in, in quarantine uh, over the last couple of years. I mean, people have been using their pool more than ever. I mean, what additional research do you feel is necessary to get ahead of this issue and start to turn the tide? Yeah, we need a ton of, of more data. Drowning is actually a really under-researched area, especially in the United States, but that you know, comment also stands uh, globally as well. Um, you know, for a long time, I mean, I grew up in aquatics, um, you know, lifeguarding, teaching, swimming. A lot of what we do in our practices around the water are really what we feel are best practices. There's not a lot of things that are evidence-based. And, you know, an example of that, we've been saying for a long time, use barriers and alarms. We have some data to support that we know barriers are effective at reducing drowning to what extent and what percentage, you know, the drowning rate or risk decreases um, when you, there's a barrier in place. Some studies have suggested it's up to a 50% decrease with young children, but we need better data. When it comes to alarms, we have pretty much no data to support that alarms are effective. We think they should be, but to actually say, you know, if you have, you know, audible alarms on doors um, leading out to a pool area, it will reduce the risk of drowning by X percent. We don't have that data right now. So what we need to do is gather, um, you know, on a variety of different prevention and intervention strategies around drowning, um, you know, better information to know if our approaches are actually as effective as we think they are. Yeah, I think the the problem with alarms in the past 
that I've seen is that, you know, the technology has come a long way from what it was. I mean, from immersion uh, technology to now more advanced things that we're seeing, like uh, artificial intelligence, real time mm -hmm. uh, detection when there's distress in the water. I mean, I think uh, alarms is something that is definitely should be put on every residential pool in, in America and should probably be on most public pools as well. Wouldn't you agree? I would. Yeah, absolutely. In years of late, you know, the perception about talking about drowning prevention has begun to change and organizations like the NDPA are directly helping to lead that kind of charge. How is how is the NDPA partnering with the pool industry and at what level? Yeah, actually, that's a it's really interesting you bring that up because I've been with NDPA now for about 10 years and been trying to work with um, both the commercial and the residential side of aquatics for um, a long time. And I will say, I mean, I remember, you know, seven, eight years ago attending my first, um, you know, pool and spot trade show for residential. And um, there were some uncomfortable conversations I had to have with people who, you know, really were did not want to address drowning prevention in the industry. And I always came with a message of, listen, we all want the same thing. You know, we all want children and families to be safer around the water for a variety of different reasons. We shouldn't be working against each other. We should be working together to achieve that. Um, I know no pool builder, no pool service professional wants to ever have a drowning happen in a pool that they have touched. Um, and we all, you know, want the same thing. So um, I have actually experienced a huge noticeable transition in this conversation, especially in residential pool and spa um, over the last five years. Um, you know, we attend the uh, International Pool and Spa Show every single year, and oftentimes we're at the Atlantic City Show as well. And just the dialogue, the conversation, the people wanting to use our resources to help educate their consumers. And one of the things NDPA is working very closely with PHTA um, and individual service providers on right now is how can we help the builders, the service professionals better have that conversation with their clients? Um, how can we help position that conversation as a value add to their business, not detracting from their business? And since we've made that, you know, approach change on our end and, you know, started working with our partners such as PHTA and IPSA in this industry, I've really noticed a, a substantial change, like I said, just in the dialogue over the past five years. Sure. I mean, I think it's important that when people are putting together information to particularly to put out to the to the general public that they're getting their information from viable credible sources all right that they're not constantly regurgitating the same information that's been posted 10 years ago and they may not necessarily be viable anymore i mean even one study that that came up that i was taking a look at was the the number of drownings in america all right and which ones are pertaining to swimming pools. I mean, a few years back, the National Safety Council released what I consider to be a, a pretty credible report that clearly indicated that children under four years old represented the largest percentage of Americans that drown each year, all right? Now that's a statistic that's been being pumped out for like the last 20 years, right? And the year that report came out, I believe there were 3,600 some odd drowning deaths that year. And they released their findings and made some solid recommendations to get states on track to lower these numbers. And some of the recommendations they made were requiring four-sided pool fencing for public and private residential pools and spas, adapting the model aquatic health code for public pools and recreational water facilities, 
teaching high school students CPR and in fact, making sure it was a requirement in order to graduate. I mean, that year, only one state, New Mexico, met the requirement for being on track. And they said adapting these recommendations would directly lower the number of drownings in America and save lives. I mean, why have states been so sluggish to react to the recommendations given the severity of the numbers involved? Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, one of the things that I'm often looking at, because, um, you know, a really exciting development that's even going to help advance drowning prevention and water safety even further is um, the development of the United States Water Safety Action Plan. Um, this is a national plan that's designed to impact the community, county, state, and the federal level when it comes to water safety. And this was actually in response to a call from the World Health Organization um, for every nation um, developing and first world nations to have a plan plan addressing drowning within their borders. Um, what was quite embarrassing in 2017, I was part of the U.S. delegation that attended the World Conference on Drowning Prevention, and the United States was the only developed nation that did not already have a water safety action plan already out and working. We hadn't even started developing it at that point. And where I point to is we are a very different country. We even look at other developed nations in the world. Um, we're often compared to Australia, New Zealand, and Great Britain. Um, and even Canada, when it comes to water safety, the biggest difference is their federal governments take a much more active role in water safety. Um, here in the United States, we have at the federal level, the Consumer Product Safety Commission and the Pool Safely campaign stemming from the VGB legislation. Um, there's work that the CDC has always done in drowning prevention, but the signs are pointing that CDC is now getting much more involved in drowning prevention and water safety. But it really fell to the nonprofit sector to really work on this and develop the U.S. National Water Safety Action Plan. And it's taken us a long time to do that because we couldn't just pick up another country's plan and try to implement it here. What I've you know, realized over the years in the United States, we're really 56 independent nations that are connected through a federal system being the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, but I've worked with you know folks like Congresswoman Debbie Washerman Schultz, Senator Amy Klobuchar, and, um, you know, what they'll tell you is a lot of the things that need to be done for drowning prevention and water safety, that power really relies with the state governments. And, you know, we, in, frankly, in the water safety community, there's been a lot of good work done, but it hasn't been cross-sector. It hasn't been working together in a collaborative way. And that's now what's starting to occur in a variety of number of what examples I can point to. Um, but each individual state needs to be convinced that this is a problem within their borders and there are reasonable and sensible solutions that they can take to lower that drowning number. If we don't come to legislators with a plan saying these specific recommendations, much like what um, um, the report that you mentioned, you know, comes out with, and these types of recommendations will be included in the U.S. Action Plan when it comes out later this year. Um, these need to be consensus-driven recommendations where there is expert, um, you know, the experts are in line, the evidence is in line to support these, and if the government makes the investment and puts even new regulations in place, puts dollars behind funding swim lessons, putting new ordinance regulations, adopting codes, um, whatever we're asking them to do, it does need to be a coordinated ask. So the exciting thing is... We are getting there. The unfortunate part is it's taken us a long time to get that house in order to really be ready to make these steps. And it seems like trying to catch a tiger by the tail, or honestly does. I mean, in a 20-year in a span, we're talking about 99 to 2019, all right, there was uh, something like 34,000 drownings in young people under the age of 29 years old. 
VGBA was successfully yep. adopted in that time frame <clears throat> as the law of the land. Yet there are many other areas pertaining to establishing best practices for pool safety at both the construction level and at the equipment level. I mean, things that tie directly to preventing childhood drowning. Can you discuss some particular areas of concern that NDPA would like to see addressed at the federal level? Yeah, I mean, one of the things, and I don't know that there's a lot we can do at the federal level um, to, you know, really increase what I would say backyard pool safety that's going to, you know, really hit a lot of the young children, even um, uh, life jacket wear rates on open water. We have to look at the environments and where these drownings are happening. And it's hard to talk drowning statistics because I don't want to make declarative statements where drowning is only going to happen for this age range in a certain environment. You know, we often say as NDPA, drowning doesn't discriminate because you could be a great swimmer and find yourself in a dangerous situation. Um, you could put in, you know, multiple layers of protection and still have an accident happen. Um, just because you're not in the statistical category where drowning is most likely to occur doesn't mean it won't happen. Um, but, you know, if we think about where our one to four-year-old population where, you know, the area of most concern, drowning is now the leading cause of death for children ages one to four. Outbeats um, motor vehicle accidents, gunshot injuries in those age groups, unintentional poisonings, all of it. Drowning is the single leading cause. Those are most likely going to happen in backyard pools and where we need to see barriers that's going to come from the local and state level for those requirements. Same thing for alarms open water um, life jacket wear rate would significantly, we think, impact um, the uh, teenage and adult drowning numbers we see. Um, a lot of those are driven at the state level. The state set the mandatory age for, or minimum age, or yeah, maximum age, I guess, that someone has to wear a life jacket at. So um, it would help as an example if the US Coast Guard would put out a recommendation and put out their, um, you know, age level of you know what they recommend you know someone up to 18 as an example should wear a life jacket versus a lower age um it would be more helpful that there were um you know some teeth behind this from the federal government um kind of like vgba to get the grant money that's tied in with the virginia grand baker pool and spa safety act from the pool safely campaign your state has to meet certain criteria so making um you know federal funding tied to states putting some of these things in place might be something the federal government can do um, but a lot of it, we do have to look to the state level. And, you know, we often as NDPA advocate for the adoption of the International Swimming Pool and Spa Code. Um, the reason my organization is so serious about getting this code adopted across the country, and by no means is it a perfect code or is it um, a slam dunk to prevent drowning, but for new pool builds, it requires barriers are in place at the point of building inspection. It requires a fence. And if, you know, it's a perimeter fence, there's required to have alarms on the doors and windows leading out to the pool area. Um, that's a great approach, but we have to go state by state um, advocating that this code be adopted in each state. So it, it is quite the battle. Right. I mean, well, most states have some kind of pool fencing regulations in place, but there's still a lot that don't. And then there are, it varies almost by like county to county, even in some areas, you know, whether a pool alarm is required, things of that nature. I mean, do you think we need to see more collaboration, Dr. Kachmarji, between legislators academics, industry professionals in terms of establishing some kind of set of standards that fall in line with ISPSC, PHTA recommendations? Yeah, totally. I, I will say it is, you know, it's hard when we talk about any fencing and barrier, you know, requirement, because oftentimes it's not the requirement being put in place that's the challenge. It's how is it going to be enforced? 
first? You know, is there going to be someone coming around and checking to make sure? Is it a, you know, report on your neighbor that they don't have a pool fence? So, you know, the, the idea of regulations and, you know, putting further code enforcement in place um, is, is something, you know, we I think all agree would substantially impact the drowning numbers if there were more pools with fences around them. You know, I just look at, you know, Florida, I look at their uh, Department of Children and Families data, they make it accessible uh, right on their website um, immediately, and it gives a narrative report on childhood drowning incidents. You know, most of those drownings are happening during non-swim times, and what would have prevented it is if there was a four-sided fence that had a self-closing, self-latching gate. Um, you know, insurance providers can, you know, put that regulation in place on their homeowners that they serve. Um, but really, if if we would see that happen across the country, I think we would see a significant impact, especially in the one to four year old age range. Um, you know, as far as getting collaboration, that's what all in, and that's everything NDPA is about, frankly, is getting folks working together. I mean, policymakers need to know that this is a problem. I can't tell you how many policymakers, even parents that I talk to, and I tell them drowning is the leading cause of death for children one to four. And I met with this shocked face of I had no idea. You know, even one of the campaigns we're launching this fall is to try and encourage pediatricians to discuss drowning prevention more with their patients at their child's well visit. Um, the challenge is pediatricians are stacked with a whole lot of things and they may not know exactly um, what exactly the best recommendations for their patients are. So it's, you know, really creating unification around a lot of our drowning prevention efforts. And really when we start to see that coordination and collaboration, um, I think the hope is policymakers will start taking this issue seriously. Um, one of the things that I'm a big proponent of when it comes to working with legislators and um, local policymakers is we have to have a really solid agenda that we're coming to them with and with solutions. Um, if I go meet with a legislator and I tell them how large the drowning problem is, the next question they're going to ask me is, okay, what do you want me to do about it? And we need to have, you know, a really collective, um, you know, voice around that, that there's consensus around what we're asking for. And I think if we see that and the attention we're now getting in water safety, I think we're, we're due to make a really big impact on childhood drowning, especially. Well, I think one of the ways that we mitigate the number of childhood drownings is by keeping public pools open and accessible, especially in the inner city where a lot of these, uh, these, these statistics are spiking. I mean, yep. how, how do we mitigate the number of drownings, particularly above, among minorities without keeping, you know, readily available access to public pools? I mean, they're closing down at a record number of rate. Yep. You know, the CDC recently released their report about you know racial ethnic disparities uh let me let me cite this we're present in all settings and we're most pronounced in swimming pool deaths compared with white people the highest ratio occurred among black youth aged 10 to 14 years old was a seven to six ratio 15 to 19 years old was a five to six ratio and five to nine years old was a four to four ratio in comparison I mean, these are startling statistics that have not just been, you know, blown up in, in the media, but were actually reported by the CDC. So, I mean, how do we how do we stem those numbers and really make an impact on 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 turning this around? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think one of the 
you, you really touched on it right there, and it starts with public pools, right? You know, we back into our four layers of protection, our four preventive things we recommend uh, for all families to keep themselves safer around the water. Number one is barriers and alarms that we've talked about. Number two is making sure there's adequate supervision around the water. Three is water competency and making sure every individual, regardless of race, socioeconomic background, has basic water skills. And when I mean, what I mean by that is it's not um, becoming an Olympic swimmer or making sure you know all four competitive swim strokes. It's that you have enough skill in the water where if you would unexpectedly fall in that you can right yourself, tread water, float, keep your head above water, and hopefully exactly. swim far enough um, using even a doggy paddle to get yourself to the side and get yourself out of the environment. Um, if you know, we you think about swim lesson training in this country, we really rely on our um, our park and recreation departments, our um, swim schools, um, the American Red Cross, the YMCA, these are all mostly happening in public pools. And um, this is something I've, my hair's been on fire about for the past year is, we are gonna face, we are currently already facing a crisis in the commercial aquatic sector. Um, we have a number of pools shutting down, we have lifeguard shortages, we have swim instructor shortages, I'm getting reports around the country um, you know, that is when swim lesson programs do open for enrollment, their slots are getting filled faster than anything. Parents are scrambling. So we're looking at parents saying one of your key preventive tools is to make your child water confident, but there's not enough um, supply to meet the demand of the public right now. And that's going to that's going to put us into a hole for a long time to come. So um, and that's where I point back to the worrying signs we're seeing of the drowning rate potentially increasing through COVID. Um, we might be heading in the wrong direction. Um, you know, we made pretty good progress for the past 40 years, and now we're starting to turn a corner um, in a really negative way. So keeping these public pools open, making sure um, we're giving all children, irregardless of race, um, socioeconomic status, their geography, their location, where they come from, equal access to make sure they at least have basic water competency skills. And the other thing we need to make sure parents are aware that this is a problem and we need to make sure that they have very clear ways of getting information to make sure they're making accurate and informed safety decisions for their families. Um, and this has to be a full approach from um, the aquatic side of the industry to uh, the pediatricians, to first responders, to policymakers, to the academics and researchers. We need to see a whole um, cross-sectoral shift um, how, on how we're approaching drowning prevention to really tackle this. I'm glad you underscored that, Dr. Katchmarch. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like public pools and keeping those open is a, a lifeline that's teaching basic survival skills to these kids. Yep. Absolutely. And, and, you know, where else do we go if we don't have public pools? Um, that really shifts. And I mean, when you even think about where we're telling people to go swim, we often say choose a designated swim site. Well, we hope that comes with professional supervision being lifeguards. Um, but as public pools close and people still want to recreate around the water, they're likely turning towards um, undesignated swimming areas to uh, maybe state parks that don't supply lifeguards to um, open bodies of water. You know, we've seen uh, or heard uh, an alarming uh, number of drownings happening on places like the Jersey Shore, Myrtle Beach, the Great Lakes, especially this summer. Um, and now what we don't know, we don't have solid data to say, well, this is because there's, you know, so many public pools being shut down. I'm advocating for a study being done right now just to take a census of where the commercial aquatics industry is at, you know, from an economic standpoint, because, um, you know, I did a number of interviews this summer um, in the media 
about the lifeguard shortage. And the number one question I was asked is, well, how bad is the shortage? I don't know. We we have anecdotes from around the country we can point to of, you know, so many pools are closed or these areas are struggling to find enough lifeguards. The reality is, I, you know, we don't have a national figure on, are we down 10%, 20%, 30% on pools? We, did a, we did a pretty lasting study on it uh, in Pool Magazine about a month back. Uh, the J-1 visa policy has severely crippled Yep. The, uh, the lifeguards and the, uh, and, and the uh, particularly the churn that we get from season to season, you know, as these kids find jobs and they move on to other careers. I mean, we're seeing above uh, average uh, uh, vacancies in those positions that's causing public pools to close an alarming rate or just close earlier in the season and offer less access to their communities. Yeah, and one other note on that with commercial pools is we have an aging infrastructure in this country. Um, right. You know, I'm from a, a very rural part of Pennsylvania, and, um, you know, growing up, every community had a pool. And it was really awesome to see where, you know, your small, you know, hometown America still has their community pool. Um, the pool that I grew up at and got me involved in this work um, initially um, they are struggling to get by just patching the pool up every summer, hoping that the integrity of the pool stays in place all summer. And, um, you know, they've applied for grants, a number of funding opportunities, and nothing has come through. And um, that's the other thing. It's the staffing and it's the, you know, the economic side of it, but it's also the infrastructure we're dealing with and it's aging. And that's going to take an investment across the country uh, to make sure we have commercial aquatics for the next, you know, 30 to 50 years. I mean, the subject is very polarizing topic in our industry and I, I can imagine you know just in in legislature to begin with i mean in years past it's been a subject that many were reluctant to discuss and shied away from i mean hopefully you know when people know the statistics and they know the importance and severity of changing these numbers I, I mean, I hope more people get involved. Do you feel like we need more engagement at the industry level? I mean, how do we get more boots on the ground within our own industry? Yeah, we need to make this a priority for everyone. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we mentioned about kind of the taboo subject area of drowning prevention, um, especially in the residential pool and spa sector. Um, you know, I say we're all, we all want the same thing, right? We all want less people to drown. And I, I truly believe everyone in the pool and spa industry is a really solid person and no one wants a drowning to happen at a pool that they have touched, worked at, built, anything like that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I sense the fear can be sometimes economic driven um, of, you know, I don't want to, you know, lose a sale of a pool or scare someone away from the aquatic space. Um, and, you know, what we're doing at NDPA is really trying to put a very positive spin on water safety that doesn't make someone think about all the negative things that, you know, occur with drowning. Um, you know, there are very positive, proactive steps everyone could take. An example, if you're a pool builder and uh, you're working with a client that has young children, recommend the children get into swim lessons while the pool is being built. Form a partnership with your local swim school. Um, you know, scholarship a couple kids to go over to the swim program and learn basic skills. Inform families they should, you know, consider the barriers and alarms they're going to have in place. And you pointed out there's so many different options on the market right now, right, from different pool style fencing, um, to alarms, to the AI technology coming in. 
there's so many different solutions a family can choose from even on the learn to swim side there's so many different program opportunities depending on the geographic location you're at in the country um you know take you know heed of all these options and work proactively as an industry to really inform folks um, that these resources are out there we're here to help you and you know the more attention we can bring to this subject and the more we can show um, you know, the importance of aquatics to this country, the better off we're all going to be as an industry, um, both on the commercial and the residential side. And I, I truly believe that we have turned a page where, you know, we are seeing this collaboration. We are seeing the attention brought on this. We just need to keep that moving. Um, you know, there's a lot at stake right now. Um, drowning prevention is a very passion-fueled cause. And I work with a lot of families who have lost um, a loved one, especially a child, to a drowning, and it it tears a family apart. It is a, a horrific accident, um, but you know the the key point here is we can make a difference. I mean, drowning is preventable. Um, that's not just something we say. It it, it is it is one hundred percent true, but there's no single bullet solution that's going to solve the problem. Um, it's it's layers of protection. It's it's doing years of the hard work to get better data, get better policies in place, um, convince legislators they need to take action, um, and really make sure parents are getting the information they need early on to make smart water safety decisions for their families. So um, I think we're really, like I said, turning a page on this. And I think um, the collective um, you know temperature that I see in the industry is everyone agrees we need to you know really impact this uh, from all angles. Well, I think that finding credible information, partnering with credible sources, being uh, uh, partnered and networked with organizations that are working shoulder to shoulder with the pool industry is definite good start for people that are in and of the pool world to start to get involved. I mean, Pool Magazine is is a as a member of uh, the NDPA, we're, uh, we're definitely recommending that anybody who's in the industry uh, join at a professional level, all right, and become a water safety champion, uh, partner with the NDPA at that level, uh, for, sh for sure. I mean, they're at all of the different trade show events, they'll be at the World, Health, uh, World Aquatic Health Conference as well. Um, I'm interested in learning more. We're gonna be attending your uh, Drowning Prevention Symposium I mean, there's a lot of positive things that the NDPA is doing to help change these numbers that we've been seeing. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you there. And you know, the the idea of you know even our drowning prevention symposium is to really at the end of the summer take a look at it and say you know as an industry what worked and what didn't work and how can we collaborate and share as we prepare for next year um you know and i am really excited for the world aquatic health conference this year um this speaks to ndpa's partnership with the pool and hot tub alliance and um you know we'll be hosting the drowning prevention symposium as part of the world aquatic health conference um i was on the speaker selection committee this year and um you know really i i tried to raise my voice to say we really need to address the commercial crisis and um, the session I'm looking forward to the most outside of the Drowning Prevention Symposium is, is a, um, a general session that I'll be moderating a panel um, really talking about the commercial aquatics crisis and how our industry is going to get through this and I'll be joined with representation from the American Red Cross, YMCA, um, PHTA, and then uh, Craig Sears with Sears Pool Management down in Atlanta will also be joining us on that panel discussion. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to attending Dr. Catch Margie and the best place to uh, to get involved and uh, 
partner with the NDPA is obviously ndpa.org. Again, www.ndpa.org. Thanks so much for uh, spending the time with us today, uh, Dr. Kachmarchi. Really appreciate having you on the show. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Look forward to seeing you at the World Aquatic Health Conference coming up. Introducing Camry, an AI-based system built specifically for pools. Camry allows owners to draw a smart fence around their pool and uses AI-based detection to specifically identify that a person has crossed that fence. When it determines the activity was a human, it sends out multiple alerts to let you know that someone has entered the pool area. So before the danger becomes reality, Camry is there to let you know and gives you the chance to quickly respond. Nothing is more valuable than knowing that your loved ones are safe. Enjoy your pool the way it was meant to be enjoyed and live with the peace of mind that it is being watched 24-7. Visit Camry.ai to learn more.